we often think of a God that is so far removed or a God that is above and high and, and we're down here and he's over there or we think of a God who emotions affect him as our emotions affect us. So one minute he's happy with us, one minute he's sad at us, one minute he's in love with us, the next minute he's not. And that is actually just not true. And we have a God who is with us here. He's in the midst of us. More than that, he chose. He said, you know where I'm going to choose to live? I'm going to choose to live within my people. Because that's where I want to be. And as much as we say, God, we love you and you're for us, God says, yeah, well, I love you and I'm for you. I chose you, you chose me. And it's just really important to remember as people of God that actually he says, you are so, so precious to me. We often give it one way, but what we struggle with as people is receiving it the other way. Sometimes it's so much easier to give praise, but as soon as it comes back in our direction, oh, no, no, that, that, that doesn't feel comfortable. And that's, for me, what God has been teaching me recently is that is the battleground right there. Because seriously, if you have people who know they're loved by God, that is so dangerous. Then people will do anything. They're crazy. Meet them. It's weird. They go off and, and, and preach to tribes who want to kill them. Because they know that God loves them. They, they don't care what they do with their lives because they know God loves them. They don't worry. They're weird. They don't worry because they know God loves them. I mean, who doesn't worry? And yet, the battleground for us today is that battleground there. It's, do we believe that God loves us? Can we accept it? Last time I was up here, I, uh, God started a, a, a stage in, in terms of you saying, hey, look, it's not about you, it's about me. So let's, let's walk in that, that wonderful humility that allows us to receive what God has for us, which is amazing. And, and it really is. But if you're going to do that, effectively, the only way you can do that is to believe what God says about you. Because it really doesn't matter what truth God has if you're not prepared to believe it. If, if you don't believe a truth, then you won't walk in it. See, the power of a manifest, manifested truth in any person's life is their ability to believe it. The truth itself is the thing that actually does the transformation. The truth doesn't require you to use any strength or anything to do anything with it. But actually, the only requirement that truth has from you is for you to believe it. Not because it can then, it then goes, oh, you now believe me, here I am. It's because actually, remember, it's always you that moves. You go... I'm stepping into this. I'm, I'm believing it. I, um, I've been very blessed in my life to have walked a journey with a lot of young people. Um, and sometimes it's really tough. Now, I've been to Zambia. I've been to South Africa. I've been to Romania. I've been in the UK. I've been all around. And I've worked with young people in all of them settings. Now, the culture is very different. Their backgrounds are completely different. But one thing that I noticed through all of these people was one truth it's that they didn't feel loved. That was, however it brought itself out, however it manifested, however it outworked in their lives, was different for sure. But the one truth that they didn't and couldn't grasp, why, oh why, would God die for me? Why would he do that? I remember we were on, um, one of the first young people I ever worked with, a lovely young girl, um, and she really, really struggled with, with knowing that she was loved. So much so that when she went into her room and closed the door, the voices were so much, you're pathetic, you're worthless, you're useless, not even your family want you, you get bullied at school, you're rubbish, you're never going to pass exams, you are a pathetic excuse. 
over and over and over. And the only thing that numbed that pain was to take a blade to her arm time and time and time again because it was the only thing that for a moment stopped them voices that were just overtaking her. And when I first met her, she sat in front of me and this poor young girl was too ashamed to even look me in the face. Because for her, the scars and marks on her arm, the love letter that she wrote to the rest of the world saying, hey, I need your love, please Stop for five minutes and tell me that I'm useful. She was so ashamed that she'd actually put their marks on her arm, she couldn't even look at me. Because why would I even listen to that waste of space as she saw herself? And she just sat in front of me. And we used to just talk and she used to just bring lies time and time again that she'd taken on as truth. And it got to, uh, it got to the pinnacle when we were, we were on this youth camp away. And we'd, we'd, a group of churches had joined together and we'd taken roughly 100 to 150 young people with us. And it was, a, it was an amazing time. And um, about halfway through, uh, some, another leader comes and, no, sorry, just a new young person comes and grabs me, James, you need to come with me quick. I like, why, what's happened? She said, it's this girl, it's, it, it, she, she, she's in a bad way, she, she needs help. Thankfully, there was another leader there so I could sort of grab her and say, okay, we've got to... Now, this young leader had never, ever seen anything like this before. So, um, but basically, we walked into this room and there was this young girl on the floor, uh, her arm just streaming with blood, a knife next to her. And she was on the floor, sort of half crouched, with tears pouring out of her eyes. Just aching, agony, hurt. And we can look and go, hold on, you've got a wonderful life. You live in the UK, blah, 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 and all that nonsense that we use to oppress people. It's not true. This young girl so, so believed that actually she was pointless, that nothing else mattered anymore. It doesn't matter what truth you brought to her. And we worked from that point on, and that, that, was, that, that was the pinnacle. That, for her, was when it was like a moment of, okay, there's got to be a change here. And you see, we never, ever focused on the scars. Don't ever focus on somebody's wounds. I know you're tempted to, but actually the wound is not the issue. The scars on her arms were just an outward manifestation of something deeper. And the deeper thing was, hey, you are amazing. And over time, we just sat there and I just used to, I literally affirmed the death out of her, is essentially what I did. And that's what we are meant to do as believers, aren't we? We, we love the death out of people. And that's what we did with young girl. And eventually, there was one moment where it clicked. And all it was was a small thought. The small thought was, maybe I'm not that bad. It's not a massively affirming thought. I'm not that bad. Um, But for her, as soon as that thought was there, it started to talk back to the other thoughts. Well, you're rubbish. But what if I'm not? No, 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 you are. But but what if if James is right? No, no, but but you're rubbish. James is wrong. Don't listen to him. But what if he is? And you see, once that thought starts to roll and get a bit of momentum... You then start to live in a world where maybe, maybe you weren't just born accidentally with no purpose, ready just to be, live a horrific life and then die. Maybe you were made for a purpose. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, I know this is weird and crazy, but maybe somebody loves you. Maybe somebody's for you. 
crazy enough, maybe there's even people you can go and affect the lives of. I know, weird, right? But maybe, maybe. And, and I, I'm really blessed to stand up here and say that that young girl stopped self-harming altogether because she started to believe she was worth something. She started to believe she had value. She started to believe that she could instead of thinking the whole time that she couldn't. And she started to get the fact that maybe, maybe as rubbish as she thought she was, God didn't actually agree with her. And maybe if she agreed with him, maybe, maybe. And then she went on to university and started to smile more. She got a lovely smile. You just didn't use the seat before. She stopped attention seeking. She stopped needing things from other people and she stopped blaming the world around her for what was going on. Because maybe, maybe. You know, truth is so powerful because once you believe truth, whatever else is going on around you, you don't see it. So I went through a period in my life where I I was really a bit down and I believed that God was against me and I had to prove myself for him. Now, I'd taken on that truth in my life. So whatever went on around me, I didn't see. So I couldn't see the blessing God had given. I couldn't see the people God had put around my life to give me. I couldn't see what God was doing with me. All I could see was the truth I believed. And this is where I just want to... The enemy and God slightly differ on, on the way they approach this. And, and it is ever so slightly, and that's, the, that's, that, that's the, uh, the, the key to understanding it. You see, the enemy goes, hey, this is what you've experienced in your life, therefore, this must be true. Now, whilst you believe it's experience, it doesn't do anything in you, because experience is just your experience, and everybody's experience is different, so it can't be true, it's just experience. But if he can get you to believe it's a truth then you own it, live it, walking it, and it defines you. So if, for example, you have somebody who has been abused as a young child, and then they, the, the enemy says to them, hey, this is how you've been treated as you were growing up, therefore you are worthless. As soon as they go, yeah, I must be, because this has happened, they then do the switch. They then go, yes, this is what I am, therefore this is why it happened. See, that's how God works. See, God says, my truth is not determined on whether you believe it or not. I don't need you to believe in my truth for it to be truth. My truth is truth simply because I say it. I am incapable of lying. Lying is not in me. Deceit is not in me. I cannot reproduce what I don't have. Therefore, I only have good. I only have love. Therefore, that's all I can bring. If I had anything else, then I could bring it, but I don't. I am love. Therefore, what I say must be true. Now, here's the key. If you believe a truth, you'll find it. See, if you don't believe God loves you, you won't find it because you won't look for it. Therefore, you won't see it. And when you're not seeing it and all you're seeing is that people don't love you in the negative, then that's all your walk in belief. Whereas if you can walk in a truth, then it starts to define you. That's how people get defined by love because they start to walk in something higher than themselves and they start to walk in something that even though they may not be able to see, they believe it's true and they start to look for it. Okay, so what essentially I'm saying is that there are two things that people say to me when I say this. I don't feel loved. Well, feelings are reactive. Feelings are happening because you're doing something that's forcing that feeling to happen. Therefore, if you feel sad or unhappy or depressed, there's something going on that's making you feel that. Feelings don't just come along and dump themselves on you and go, you're going to feel like this today. And you go, oh, I feel like this today. Something happens. 
You know, have you ever met somebody who, who feels really unhappy, but then they have a good day and they put it down to just chance? Well, if you look at that day with them, what you'll normally notice is they did something different and therefore the feeling followed the action. Remember, feelings can't sustain actions. Actions sustain feelings. If you wait for a feeling to sustain any action you'll do, you'll wait for eternity. So don't, don't, don't trust feelings. Feelings are just an outward expression of what's inwardly happening. Feelings are something God blessed us with so that his spirit that he pours into us that's entwined with our spirit has an outward, has an outlet even for what it's feeling. So when we are joyful, we have the emotion of joy that then comes out. That's why we have physical tears. That's why we're able to laugh. That's why we're, because it's an outward expression of what's going on inside. Therefore, don't ever say, I don't feel like it because you won't feel like it. Remember, if you're in a really bad place, stuff happened, and you did stuff as well, that got you to that place, and it didn't happen overnight. See, I've worked with people who go, yeah, James, I tried that, it didn't work. Well, of course, you tried it once. Yeah, I tried, I, tried, I tried doing stuff I liked, but it didn't work. How many times did you try it once? Mm. Why would it work then? You have to constantly, and that's the battleground, isn't it? But the thing is, the lies and the negative stuff that you do, you've been doing for so long and it gets confirmed by others for so long that it just becomes second nature and it actually doesn't take that much effort to do what you don't perceive it takes that much effort to do. To change your path takes a lot. This is why the Bible talks about renewing of the mind, taking every thought captive under Christ. Because it's only by meditating on the things of Christ that you can challenge the things of the enemy. You see, the word of God has no power if you don't believe it. Because you simply won't pick it up. You simply won't use it what it's there for. Jesus was able to quote scripture to the enemy when he chatted. You know, before Jesus goes into the desert, God says to him, this is my son. Okay, so God speaks a truth over Jesus. What's the first thing the enemy does when he's in the desert? If you're really God's son. The first thing he did is challenges the truth that God has just brought. Of course he's going to do that. If you have a truth, if God says to you, you're my daughter, the first thing the enemy's going to do is say, how could you be a daughter of God? This is God, look at you. But Jesus believes it so much that he's able to take the word of God, dump it in a lap of the enemy and go, argue with that. Because you lie, he doesn't. So how are you going to tell me something that goes against somebody who cannot lie? He, can, he can't. Therefore, when he says something about you, he means it. He means it. The second thing that people do, they first thing I don't feel it. They secondly go, I haven't experienced it. I haven't experienced the love of God in my life. Well, there's two realities to this. One, you haven't been looking for it. And two, you probably have. You just haven't noticed it. The amount of people I've, I've met who've been transformed by God and they say, looking back, because you only do this, you tend to only do this when you look back. I, I was in all these situations in my life and I, I now see where God was in it. But when you're in the midst of a storm, you can't see it. The disciples sitting on a boat, Jesus asleep, storm comes. What do they see? Everything else around them. Oh, we're going to die. They start to scream. Yeah. God, why aren't you helping us? Help us. And Jesus is kind of like, what are you doing, man? Just rebuke the storm. I'm, I'm sleeping. Leave me be. You know, my man was chilling out. And they sort of, because what they saw, they took on as truth and they walked in it. 
You see, your present circumstances aren't necessarily true. But you have to believe that it's not true. Because unless you do that, you can never walk in what God has for you. And one of the best ways of doing this is simply by being thankful. You have to change a thought process that you've been born into. You have to change a thought process that says, hey, you're rubbish. You have to change a thought process that says, yo, this this is one way, but now it's this way. You see, God doesn't make Friday afternoon jobs. It's not how he works. He doesn't work in a factory that clocks off at five. It's therefore at half four in the morning, half four in the afternoon, sorry. He looks and goes, ah, who we got next? Becky Townley. Ah, man. What time is it? It's, It's half four. Yeah, no, no, don't, don't give the gifts. That takes ages. You know that takes. What? Blessings. No, 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 none, none of that. Yeah, no, don't make it that useful either. Just, she can marry somebody useful. It'll be fine. Um, yeah, no, we, we, I don't mean any of this, by the way. Um, well, 50% of it anyway, you know. That's not, that, that's not how you need to understand. When God looks at Becky, he goes, Gabriel, Michael, come, come. You see my daughter there. Look at this woman. What she did, she's choosing this morning to give me praise with the voice that I gave her. He's there. That's what he does over you every day. It's like, have you seen my girl Lydia? Look how beautiful she is. I made that. Give me a high five. Huh? That's my daughter there. That's what God does over you. It's, it's silly, isn't it? And you're sitting there going, but God, I'm not good enough. And God's going, well, you must be because I made you. I'm, I'm, I don't make rubbish. I make, I make fine works of art. I was going to do something. I'm not going to do that. I make fine works of art. <laughs> Um, <laughs> swiftly, my friend. I'm at, and that's the thing is that when you don't actually, one of the, one of the easiest ways of affirming, of, of, of loving and realizing how God sees you is to understand that you are a piece of art that he created. So affirm the artist and you'll start to see the painting he created. If you can't see it, just affirm the person who made it. Because that will bring revelation to you. That will bring a burning desire within you to go, well, maybe, maybe I am. Maybe. Just maybe. Because once that maybe's in there, it becomes a very dangerous thing. And that's why, that's how God sees us as people. God loves on us. God desires us. God chases after us and he died for us so that we might live free. But the only way to live free is to start to change that mindset that's going on. And as I said, one of the ways of doing that is to affirm the artist, affirm God, say, God, you are amazing, you are wonderful, you are... If you can't be thankful for yourself, be thankful for him. If you can't be thankful for yourself, be thankful for somebody else, because thanks breeds thanks. Yeah? You, when, you, when, you live in a, when you live in a place where you are that down, that you can't see the good in you, it's because what's in you needs to be changed. You see, a person who has bitterness in them looks for bitterness, finds bitterness, and affirms bitterness, both in themselves and other people, and then that breeds bitterness. A person who doesn't have bitterness in them, who has love in them, looks for love, finds love, affirms love, and therefore breeds love. You breed and you produce what is in you. You can't produce what is not in you. Therefore, if it's not there, ask for it, because it's the only way you're going to get it. Because God says, hey, you're my children. I love you. I desire you. I'm, I chase after you. But unless you're here, you see, a person's deepest fear. I don't know. Um, there's a quote. I forget the Christian author, but it was used in, um, in a film, Coach Carter, if any of you have seen it. 
It's right at the end, and, and the film goes on, and, and Coach Carter, this, this guy who comes into this school that's a, a downcast, deadbeat school, and most of the kids, when they leave school, either become pregnant or go to prison. They don't actually think they've got any worth or value in them. He comes in, and the only difference between him and everybody else is that he believes he's actually worth something, and therefore believes other people are worth something. Remember, if it's in you, it'll flow out of you. So he believes he's worth something. And he takes this, the, the one kid who's the hardest kid to deal with, he's into drugs, he's into gun, gun crime, he's into um, destroying other lives by what he does. That's the world he lives in. And he does it all because he feels about two foot tall and therefore he has to be a big man to try and feel better and affirm the world around him and get affirmation from those he needs it from. But the longer he spends around Coach Carter, the more he needs Coach Carter's affirmation the more he wants affirmation from a man who doesn't do drugs, who doesn't go out shooting people, who only says positive things about people, and it, he doesn't understand what's going on. And it causes him to run away, because he's like, I don't know what's going on. But he's always drawn back. Then at the end of the film, there's this wonderful moment. Throughout the film, he keeps on asking this guy, what's your deepest fear? And I'll get onto that in a minute, but he keeps on watching him. And at the end of the film, he stands up and he quotes this Christian writer's quote that she, she said. And it goes like this, he said, my deepest fear is not that I'm inadequate. My deepest fear is that I'm powerful beyond measure. It is my light, not my darkness, that most frightens me. See, my playing small does not serve the world, and there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, but in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give people permission to do the same. We are permission givers if we live for Christ. You see, in the dark, nothing is exposed. In the dark, everything is hidden. In the dark, nobody can see. In the dark, you can let nobody down. In the dark, nobody can see you to see the rubbish thing that you are. And that's why darkness feels so nice. That's why the hidden places feel so good to us. But you see, God draws us into the light and says, we are kids of light. But the problem is, when you feel worthless, the, the most dangerous thing and the scariest thing at the same time you can hear is that you can actually do something. Because by being told you can do something, if you feel worthless, you just hear, I've got another person I can let down. I've got another opportunity I can miss. I've got another walk pathway that I am not going to be good enough to walk down. That's what you hear. It's like knives into you every time somebody says you can. Because in the light, everybody can see you. Everything's exposed. Everything is on show. You can get it wrong and everybody will see it. You can stand up the front of the church and almost make an hourglass shape with your hands and everybody will know you're about to do it and laugh at you. That can happen in the light. In the dark, you see, if I don't stand up here and preach to you, none of you know. I can just be in the dark, be by myself, in my room, at home. Nobody knows what's going on. You don't know how I'm feeling. You don't know how I'm doing. You cannot hurt me. I can't let you down. I can't hurt you. We're safe. Rubbish. You're in a prison. The walls that you put up to protect yourself always become the prison that you cannot escape from. Remember that now. Because as you build up walls to protect yourself, you place barriers to yourself and other people and you say, God, no, you're not going there. I'm not ready. Because in the heart of it, and the thing that you need to really be honest about, and it's not something to be ashamed of, you don't trust. And that's okay. 
That is okay. This young girl who I told you about earlier used to say to me, well, James, I'm still self-harming. I'm still doing this. I still feel like this. And I used to sit there and go, that's okay. How is that okay? How is it okay that I'm still self-harming? How is it okay that I'm... Because I'm not prepared to look at what's going on in the here and now. I'm, I'm seeing what's coming. I'm prepared to live with you in your self-pity. I'm going to drag you into my joyful party. I am not prepared to see the world as you see it, because if I do, I don't help you. I am prepared to sit in your hole with you, though, and say, hey, I'm here. It's all right. You're going to be okay. And the only way that happens is to start to believe a truth that you speak over people. Start to get them to believe it, because I know that as she takes on that truth for herself, the self-harming, the feeling alone, the feeling rejected, the feeling isolated, they start to disappear. You see, Jesus is so clever because he went straight to the root of the problem, which was a rejected, isolated bunch of kids who felt inferior. And he came down and he went, well, if you're so inferior, if you're so rejected, if you're so isolated, why am I here? Tell me why I die for a kid I don't love. Because I don't, I don't get it. I've walked in it. I've been there. I've been that adopted child, that orphan child, that child who feels like, hey, I'm just less than everybody else. I've been there. I don't understand it, but I've been there because I started to believe truths that weren't real. That there were truths in my life. And so as we walk, as we, as, we, as we take on these truths, as we start to believe that actually we are in the light, that actually it's okay, actually we are good enough, we start then to live a different way. And as a church, you see, we are meant to be life givers, not death dealers. I've just dropped a Harry Potter bomb in there. Did you see that? What would, would you change what you said to people if you saw what it did to them? Imagine if you could actually see what your words did to a person. You know, you're having a bad day, so you see, you know, somebody comes up and asks you a question and you're sharp with them. What if you could see that that's what it was doing to them? What, what would you do? See, I think we're so flippant with words sometimes because we can't actually see what it does. You know, we just put others down to make ourselves feel better. I tell you, this, this was something that baffled me recently. I used to be very, very good at bringing others down and getting others around me to do it with me. So I manipulated a crowd, targeted on one person, and just went and destroyed their world. And I was very good at it. And nobody ever challenged me on it. Not once. Apart until I was in South Africa, and some guy went, James, you have such a gift to give life. Why are you bringing death? Was that? And what he was actually saying was, well, you're kind of doing the enemy's work for him. It's kind of like, Whoa. Yeah, I am, aren't I? Because if God's people are being negative to other people, the enemy can take a holiday. He doesn't need to be here. He can go, oh, I'm going to go to Bahamas. He likes it hot. You see, you see, <laughs> you see, that's what you do when you use your words. It's poison. It's poison. And it kills and destroys and it brings death. We are not death dealers. We are meant to be life givers. And as hard as it is, as rubbish as you may feel sometimes, the actual life-transforming gift you have to say to somebody, I give you permission to be you, 
is frightening. Because to a world that doesn't believe God loves them, they need people who know God is love to bring it. To a world that can't see, they need people who can bring vision. To a world of darkness, they need light. And if we aren't prepared to do it, then who is? Who are we delegating this to? Because as far as I'm aware, God said, on this rock, he will build his church and he will give us the keys to the kingdom. One of the keys for the kingdom is thanksgiving, it's affirmation, it's love. And if we aren't prepared to bring them, then we aren't prepared to build his kingdom. You see, wherever you go, you, you take his kingdom and therefore you are able and have the ability and strength and power to give people permission to live. I don't know about you, but whenever I walk away from somebody, I want to know that I've given them permission. I don't want to know that I've denied them something. And I have bad days, and I say stuff I shouldn't do. I'm not standing up here saying I get it right. Genie Mac, I don't. I've destroyed people's worlds. I've had to apologize. I've had to go up in utter humility and say, I got this wrong. And please, by me telling you this, you're all holding me accountable. Like, if we see it, we need to hold people accountable. As John says, if we see people gossiping, we need to stop it. If we see people talking derogatory, talking down, speaking death, we need to stop it. Because even when you're bringing instruction and a rebuke, you can still do it in a way that gives life. Because essentially what you're doing is saying, hey, you don't want to walk down that path anymore because that path won't help. You want to walk down this path. Now, I get it as a mother or a father when your child is being really quite annoying. It's very difficult to do that. But, you know, we have God and we have the love and grace to be able to, to, to do that. Um, and I am coming into land because essentially... What I'm saying to you is this. As people, we need to meditate, meditate on the things of God. Fix our mind on Christ. Because what your eyes are fixed on, what your thoughts are fixed on, so will you be. So if you're fixed on things of the enemy, so you will be. If you're not feeling too great, if you feel rubbish, if you don't feel great, if you feel like you're insignificant... That's just not true. And the hardest thing I'm going to ask you to do, and I know it's hard, I am not saying this is easy, by the way, and we are a family that need to walk with people in this, is we need to say, okay, I'm going to give you permission to live by helping you to see the good in yourself. Give people permission to be, because I have never met a person that God has said, that is a waste of space. I've never met, and I don't, and I know, I know, I never will. Let's be permission givers. Let's be life bringers. Let us have so many people want to come into here because we tell them stuff that nobody's ever told them. Let's do that. And if you're in that place, if you're in that place, meditate on the things of Christ. Tell them to yourself over and over again. And if you're not able to, find somebody you can. Because each one of you here, I speak this truth over you, are a loved child of God. I don't care if you believe in God or not. God does not require your belief to exist. And he doesn't require your belief that he loves you to love you. Thank the Lord for that, by the way. He loves all of you. Ridiculously so. And all he wants to do is pour all of his self onto you and transform your world from the inside out because that's what he desires.